Welcome to The Baton, a John Williams musical journey. Join host Jeff Cummings as he takes you through the career of the illustrious film composer John Williams, starting with his debut in 1959 through more than 100 films in 60 years. In this episode, we hear the music from the 1977 film Black Sunday. And here's your host, Jeff Cummings. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. When you're a freelance composer at the top of your game, every studio in Hollywood wants to work with you. And that's what John Williams experienced in 1976 after the huge success of Jaws the previous year. We've already gone through the three films that Williams scored that were released in 1976. He had one more project that year, though the film would have to wait until spring 1977 to see the light of day. That film is Black Sunday, a thriller about a plot to kill thousands at the Super Bowl. As was the case with Family Plot, The Missouri Breaks, and Midway, I was only vaguely aware of Black Sunday as a movie before I began embarking on this podcast journey, and sort of remembered that John Williams was connected to it. I am glad that I have now seen the movie and immersed myself in the score because the music has a lot of significance for some of the films that would follow immediately after this. Sadiq Hussein is here as my co-host for this episode to talk about Black Sunday, which he marks as one of his all-time favorites. Sadiq, welcome to The Baton. Thanks, Jeff, and I'm glad to be with you on your podcast. It's a real treat for me as I love film music, adore the maestro John Williams, and love to talk about his contribution to film music. Before we go any further, though, can I just say what a unique, wonderful, entertaining and informative, and dare I say, historic job that you are doing with your podcast, going through the entire catalogue of composer John Williams, and of course, commenting on it as well. This will, I believe, be a huge uh, resource for research and entertainment for years to come. I truly believe that. So just to let our listeners know here, Sadiq was one of the first people to write to me when the podcast started. And he helped me understand some of the technical issues I was dealing with in the early episodes, which I really hope I smoothed out over the past 40 episodes. So thanks for that, Sadiq. So please tell the listeners about yourself. Uh, Well, Jeff, I'd like to clarify something straight away. Um, Unlike some of your other guest presenters, particularly recently, with your analysis of films like Jaws and Cinderella uh, Liberty Scores, I'm no musician. I can't play a musical instrument, I can't sing, and I don't know much about music theory. Except, of course, what I can pick up from books and websites and podcasts such as this, The Button. And yes, in the UK, we do pronounce it that way, as I believe one of your previous uh, guest presenters said so as well. But I do love live and recorded music and have loved orchestral music ever since that first time I saw Star Wars in the cinema in March 1978. And subsequently, of course, I learnt that I'd actually been hearing Williams' compositions for years on television, which I'm sure is the case with all of your listeners, with themes to TV programmes like Land of the Giants, Lost in Space and The Time Tunnel. Actually, as far as education is concerned, I was educated in biosciences, made my, but made my professional career in marketing and added other strings to my bow, sorry about that little joke, Uh, later on in my working life. Currently though, and for the last number of years, I'm an educator uh, and specialise in adult education in IT, photography and film history. 
In fact, interestingly, what got me into photography way back when I was about 20 was my love of cinema back when I was a teenager, back when I saw Star Wars for the first time with friends. I actually wrote to uh, ILM veteran Richard Edland for advice about filmmaking and he recommended that I read about and practice with still photography. And 40 years later, here I am talking about John Williams on your international platform. That's a fascinating turnaround in terms of your career. And what a great story about getting advice from Richard Edland. I'm kind of jealous, actually. So what is it about John Williams's music that moves you more than any other composer? Uh, well, initially, it was much like all of all of the podcast listeners, the huge success that John Williams had with films like Jaws and Star Wars, of course, which brought him to millions of people's attention all over the world. He certainly brought him to my attention. But with hindsight and with the benefit of not just listening to his vast collection of scores, but other people's scores as well for comparison, John's scores cover many genres, many topics and eras and filmmaking styles from different directors. It is simply the sheer breadth of his output. Plus, of course, as everybody says, he's simply the master of writing melodies and tunes, which are apparently simple in construction, but very, very memorable. In addition, I also love his orchestrations. And this is a concept I didn't really know much about when I was uh, younger, but I do now. His use of instruments and lots of subtle embellishments he puts in his scores. It's these extras that really get across the richness of his music, the richness of his compositions. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love Goldsmith. I love James Horner, Giacchino, uh, John Barry, as well as all the old masters like uh, Max Steiner and Korn Gold and Miklos Russia. Uh, in fact, I do remember loving the music from that film, 1959's version of Ben-Hur, which was the music was composed by Miklos Russia. And I actually went to my local library to get the vinyl soundtrack of that as far back as 1978. But John Williams, I can listen to every day. In fact, I probably do. Uh, as a little side note, last night, my youngest son, Frahan, and my good friend, Ray, went with me to see The Empire Strikes Back live, uh, uh, with uh, the film with a live orchestra right here in my hometown of Birmingham. Uh, but that's perhaps a discussion for another time. I'm sure that was an amazing night. I... I actually hope to be able to see that film with a live orchestra one day. It would be epic. And like you, there's not a day that goes by for me without John Williams's music. And that was true before I even started this podcast. All right, so let's get started talking about Black Sunday. Now, when I sat down to watch it before recording this episode, my anticipation of it was high not only to listen to a John Williams score that was new to me, but to watch Bruce Dern in action. This was the third film of his that features a John Williams score, going back to The Cowboys in 1972 and Family Plot just a year earlier. He had a great command of the screen in those films, but not like he did in Black Sunday. If you've seen the film, you might remember his big soliloquy just before the finale in which his character, Michael, talks about why it's important that he carry out this terrorist plot. It's great acting that wasn't rewarded at the time, but I think it was remembered the following year when he got an Oscar nomination for Supporting Actor in Coming Home, 
playing another Vietnam veteran who has a difficult transition to civilian life. Sadiq, what are your thoughts about the film? Well, Jeff, I'm glad you mentioned Bruce Stern, and I do remember seeing Coming Home and Silent Running as early films of Bruce's. Uh, but Mr. Dern is one of my favourite actors because of that. I love his intensity, his slightly off-kilter performances that really resonate with me. Whether he plays a villain like the character Longhair in the film The Cowboys, which of course you've already covered, it is a nasty piece of work in that film. Or even a hero in Silent Running, Doug Trumbull's film, um, is, is the hero, but there's a certain edginess to him but he is so memorable. He is the reason why I initially wanted to watch Black Sunday. But then, when I realised that John Williams had also done the score, then I really wanted to see it. But as far as the film itself is concerned, in its own right, it really is, I think, a product of the 70s. And I don't mean the 70s of the movie brats, the Lucases and the Spielbergs and the Martin Scorseses. I mean the old guard, the directors that have been around for a long time. This film is, I don't think, nothing special in either direction or editing, except maybe in the final scene. And the use of the excellent music that John's composed misses many opportunities, I think. But it was Paramount's hope to ride the disaster film, the political thriller, the summer blockbuster wave, and make as much money as Jaws did a couple of years earlier. But John Frankenheimer, I don't think, is Steven Spielberg. Even though he does have two or three films early in his career, which I've seen, which are standouts, uh, classics like Birdman of Alcatraz, The Manchurian Candidate, and of course, Grand Prix in the late 60s. In addition to Dern, we also have two other really good performances in this film. One from the great Robert Shaw, fresh from his success of Jaws in 75, and Martha Keller, an even fresher uh, uh, from the hit Marathon Man in 76 with Dustin Hoffman. Really good film, Marathon Man. I love it. Uh, There's a couple other historical points to make about this film. Yes, it was the last film score Williams wrote before Star Wars, but it's important to note that Williams was already secured to write the music for Star Wars before he sat down to work on Black Sunday. Williams spent some time in Tunisia on the set of Star Wars in spring 1976 to meet Lucas on the recommendation of Steven Spielberg. When he returned to the States, Williams was locked into Star Wars and ready to take on Black Sunday while Lucas finished filming Star Wars on London sound stages. We've discussed many times Williams working on other projects while he waits for the quote main one, and Black Sunday was that other project in this case. This was also his first film for Paramount Pictures, which is surprising to me because it's his 45th film, and I don't know how the folks at Paramount missed out on securing Williams' talent for so long. I know he had strong ties to Universal and 20th Century Fox, but it's so surprising that Paramount had never come calling until now. And as we know, Paramount is the studio behind the Indiana Jones series, so Williams would continue to work with the studio after this. Yes, John, he sure made up for lost time by giving Paramount uh, and the rest of the world the iconic movie action hero, Indiana Jones, memorable music, a memorable theme, 
over four films and soon to be possibly five or six films. But I'm sure, Jeff, you'll be covering that in due course. I really hope it doesn't get to six. I think I think the story's been told with Indiana Jones. I think we could stop. <laughs> <laughs> so there are some other major Hollywood players behind the camera for Black Sunday besides director John Frankenheimer. Robert Evans, who had big hits as a producer with Chinatown and Marathon Man, was producer for this film after learning about it in his days as head of Paramount two years earlier. And Ernest Lehman, the Oscar-nominated writer behind musical hits West Side Story and The Sound of Music, and the seething but brilliant adaptation of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, would bring his pedigree to the film one year after writing Family Plot. This film, Black Sunday, would be Lehman's 15th and final screenplay. Evans was such a hands-on producer with his films that it's no surprise that he was involved in every aspect of the production of Black Sunday. and That included the music. After Williams and Frankenheimer spotted the film and figured out the numerous scenes that would need music, Williams spent a little time, about a month, in midsummer 1976, fashioning thriller music that would evoke his compositions for the previous disaster films he scored in the 1970s. Evans watched the film with Williams's music, and he was a major reason why about half the Williams score was removed from the film, creating a lot of those missed opportunities you mentioned earlier, Sadiq. I don't know why Evans decided to slice the score from the film, but it's documented that he has done this for pretty much no reason on previous movies as well. He threw out Philip Lambro's score for Chinatown, hiring Jerry Goldsmith in the 11th hour. Film Score Monthly released a CD of all the music composed for Black Sunday, and it's hard for me to decide if Evans, Frankenheimer, and others made the right decision or not to cut a lot of this music. I didn't feel like many of the music-free scenes needed music as I was watching, but some of the music that was cut is quite good, and we'll talk about some of it later. Actually, Jeff, I didn't know that about Robert Evans uh, and his influence on music used in this particular film that John had already written. But I truly believe that if much of that extra music had stayed in the film, it would have improved the film. Without the music and some of the acting that we've mentioned already, I think the film overall is weak. And when you reached out to me to request being a co-host for this episode, I was kind of surprised that you mentioned how much you loved this score, especially given its very close proximity to Star Wars. What is it about the score that attracted you to it? Well, when I first came across the score, I hadn't even seen the film. uh, And I'd listened to the music because, of course, being a John Williams fan, I wanted to see what the music was like. It was Williams' use of percussion instruments that sold me on this score. I know that might sound a bit strange, but especially on the timpani, which would become one of his favourite instruments, the drums were used a lot in Star Wars and, and, and films after that. And listening to the score on that aforementioned recently released very high quality CD with extended cues on there uh, and overseen by the great uh, producer Mike Mattesino, the compositions have a real richness that John was developing and honing over many scores. That experimentation, I believe, was soon to produce some great dividends in the late 70s and 80s. The Black Sunday score was a testbed, I believe, for Williams, whether it was knowingly or not, for styles and instrumentations which were taken to a whole new level in just a few months further down the road when he scored for Star Wars. 
if John Williams hadn't had Black Sunday as an assignment and the music that he produced for it, I really believe that Star Wars would have been a different score. And because we're all so familiar with the Star Wars music, that to me, I think, is something that I can't even begin to think about, having a different score to Star Wars. And it would have been a different movie, maybe not even very successful. So tell us more about the styles and instrumentations you were talking about that Williams tested out in Black Sunday before putting them to good use in future films. Well, one of the major components of the score, um, a large part of which was, in fact, cut from the film, is the theme for Robert Shaw's character, uh, Major Kabakov. Uh, let's listen to it in the scene we are introduced to Kabakov as he leads a group on a mission to raid a compound in Beirut where Palestinian terrorists are hatching a plot to attack the United States. tone here is different and the notes are slightly changed but Kabakov's theme is I believe to be where the first inklings of the force theme from Star Wars began. You can really hear it in the first three notes. The triplet of notes that follows is the same structurally though Kabakov's theme seems to rise while the force theme starts at the A and returns to the A at the end of the triplet. Here's a piano performance of the Force theme for comparison. Sadiq, I remember that you brought this point up to me long before I watched Black Sunday, and I was anxious to hear this theme and its comparisons to the Force theme. I can hear the similarities, but I think it's a bit of a stretch to compare the two themes, at least how it's played there. I would be able to agree completely with the comparison if Kabakov's theme had the same resolution in his theme that the Force theme does. Perhaps that's what Williams wanted to do with the Force theme, put in a resolution in the theme that wasn't there in Black Sunday. I do agree, Jeff, that it is only a hint. And yes, the resolution, as you say, is not there in this film, in that short piece of music. But there is enough of a similarity for me to notice it. Now, this happens all the time, of course, with all artists, not just composers, but writers and film directors and painters and, of course, photographers like myself. We all return to motives and themes and subjects again and again. It's what makes us unique. So I don't place a huge significance on it, except that it came just months before he started work on Star Wars. And I can't help but think that one became the other, one morphed into the other, whether subconsciously or consciously, I think it did. What this music reminds me of more than anything is the music Williams would write for Munich in 2006. 
That movie is also about assassins who are after the people responsible for the massacre at the Munich Olympics. Plus, of course, as you say, Jeff, we have the common factor of John Williams himself. So I don't think it's too much of a stretch to think that Mr. Williams would at least have Black Sunday at the back of his mind when composing for Munich. Actually, I think it's a small and subtle musical synergy, separated only by the years between these two films. I notice that the tempo is almost the same, supporting the matching moods of the respective scenes. Actually, having rewatched Munich highlights to me that a big side effect of the removal of much of the music cues from the film leads to the lack of score in the opening credits. Munich has music in its opening minutes, while Black Sunday does not. All we see is a woman arriving in Beirut, riding in a taxi, walking through a street market, and finally taking another car to her destination, a compound where her fellow Palestinian terrorists are waiting. I really do expect music at the start of a film, because I believe music to be the true emotional heart of a filmed project. Yeah, this is the first time no music is played in the opening credits on a film in which John Williams is the composer. And as you said, we expect to hear at least some music at the beginning of a film. We still have many more films to explore in this podcast that I have not seen, but it should be noted that Spielberg and Williams didn't put music into the opening credits of Schindler's List as well. But thanks to the Filmscore Monthly CD, we can hear the music intended to play during the opening credits. That's a very brief musical moment, so it seems like there was never a plan to write music during all of the journey of this woman, named Dahlia, through the city. In that brief musical cue, you heard a Celeste playing a seemingly innocuous melody. That would turn out to be the major musical theme of the film, written for the Palestinians' plot to attack the United States. After Dahlia lays out some details about the attack, we see a boat arriving late at night in Beirut. The men on the boat are part of the Mossad, the major intelligence agency of Israel, and they're coming to raid the compound where Dahlia is staying. The raid on the Beirut compound features some great orchestrations that I can't ignore. While the Mossad army is sneaking through the compound quietly to kill the guards, Williams keeps the tension high with the strings 
but also adding in the percussion as well as the brass once the first shots are fired. Great orchestrations indeed, Jeff, uh, just listening to that again. I'm sure the listeners can pick up out of the track the wonderfully complex nature of how Williams uses the individual instruments and sections of an orchestra. The strings are really effective about three minutes in, followed by wonderful percussion and brass punctuations. And getting the violins to hold that one note at the end there, just masterful. And this is where Kabakov makes his big mistake. Instead of shooting the woman he finds in the shower, he lets her live, and that happens to be Dahlia. Those strings are holding us in suspense as Kabakov weighs his options. I suppose he couldn't bring himself to kill a woman, so he walks away and lets the bombs take care of her, or so he thinks. It feels very reminiscent of what Jerry Goldsmith might write for this scene, with all the percussion and some of the atonal elements in it as well. But it's essentially Williams in that he knows not to draw too much attention to the score until it's absolutely needed. As the character Dahlia attempts to kill Kabakov, she disguises herself as a nurse, gets into the hospital and gets hold of drugs and a hypodermic needle from some stores. 
but wandering through the corridors of the hospital, we get to hear John Williams use piano keys at the low end of the register. These sounds really help to establish a sinister mood and, of course, the impending doom of a major character in the story. Plus, John, he also uses the woodwinds punctuated by the use again of the kettle drums. Dahlia's plan is foiled by Kabakov's right-hand man, Robert Machewski, as he challenges Nurse Dahlia in the corridor and escorts her to security in order to check that her intentions are indeed genuine. But once in the lift with her, we hear Williams conclude the piece with a short, sharp stabbing of the strings, as a homage, I do believe, to Bernard Herrmann's score for the psycho shower scene as we see that Dahlia has inserted the hypodermic needle into the neck of the character and thereby killing him and getting away. As Williams often does, his music right at the end there preempts the actual reveal visually to the audience of the fatal needle in the neck, just by a second or two. I think that's a great timing trick to extend the intended emotion of the director and the composer that you want from the story and they want the audience to experience. It is an obvious homage to Psycho, written by Williams' good friend Bernard Herrmann. I do wonder if Benny, as he was called, got to hear the music for this scene. Unfortunately, Herrmann died six months after this score was recorded, the day he finished recording his score for Taxi Driver. I said earlier that the music for the terrorists permeates the score as it's heard in the film, 
and I liked its performances very much, especially in that hospital scene. The theme will be played on stronger brass instruments once we get to the finale. And, as a bit of movie history, Quentin Tarantino said the hospital scene in Black Sunday influenced him to write a similar scene in Kill Bill Volume 2 when Daryl Hannah is going to try to kill Uma Thurman. He used previously composed music from Ennio Morricone for his scene, which worked well, but it would have been a great homage to use John Williams' original music. There is an unscored chase between Kabakov and the leader of the terrorists, and after that, Kabakov discovers that the Super Bowl is the intended target. He and FBI agent Corley meet with the Miami Police Department to discuss the heightened security measures that will be taken on game day. And Williams takes this montage sequence and runs with it, just as he had done on films such as The Towering Inferno when everyone is preparing for the big tank explosion to douse the fire, and in Jaws where the three men are preparing the shark cage. This montage in Black Sunday was worth the price of admission, as it were. I like the melody passed through the strings in the first minute before the horns take over to make the statement more urgent.
I also love what John Williams does with uh, this and in fact lots of his other scores where a theme starts with one instrument within the orchestra or section of the orchestra and then passes on to another switches sometimes switching between the two or even three different musicians or groups of musicians so the theme is maybe simply nature but the execution within the orchestra really helps to embed it into the minds of the listener as well as adding to the heightened experience of the moviegoer it's a kind of film scorer's version of the classical piece uh, Ravel's Bolero or is that a bit of a stretch Jeff? No, not at all. It's a great technique that is not unique to John Williams. The finale uh, of the film really kicks in as Michael, the pilot, uh, played by Bruce Stern, uh, sabotages the airship's engine in order to get it down under false pretenses so that Dahlia can help attach the explosives-laden gondola that was constructed earlier. This short piece of music again reminds us of what Williams would do for Star Wars as our heroes in that film are making their respective ways through the corridors of their Death Star. I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with that. If you just take note of the staccato use of the musical notes in the brass section. The finale really came through for me in lots of aspects, from the acting to the editing and especially the music. As Michael makes his way back to the blimp field, Kabakov is hanging out on the football field. And I found it funny, really funny, that he's looking at everything in the stadium except the game itself that's taking place behind him. The tension really kicks in when he finds out that the original pilot of the Goodyear blimp was found dead in his hotel room. That leads everyone to the conclusion that the blimp is how the attack will be carried out. Kabakov is making his rounds in the spectator area when he learns of this, and William scores Kabakov's run from the stands to the TV truck so well. The piano accompanies Kabakov as he runs down the stairs, seemingly hitting on each step perfectly in sync. As he continues his sprint through the stands and onto the field, Notice that Williams puts in the terrorist theme instead of Kabakov's theme. An interesting choice. (laughs) ¶¶ 
This is my favorite musical moment in the film, especially in noting the piano performance as Kabakov runs down the stairs. You could actually see Williams working out the notes to sync as much as possible with the run down the stairs. Actually, uh, John Williams loves to use the low register of the piano. We all know that the piano is his key instrument. Uh, and he, he loves to use the low register of the piano, as I said, to emphasize the sense of urgency or dread, or indeed both, as in this case of discovering that the threat of terror is coming. You're right, Jeff. Watching that scene a few times, and I watched it again just yesterday, especially right at the start of Kabakov running down the stadium steps, the use of the piano is brief, but very effective and memorable. He then continues as Kabakov runs through the stadium, accompanied by a fast tempo of strings. Without the spectators or officials knowing really what's going on, these sequences, I believe, were filmed at the 1976 Super Bowl game to make it look and feel very authentic, and indeed they do. I couldn't find any information on whether or not spectators were told that the movie was being filmed during the Super Bowl, but I guess they probably weren't. I'm sure I noticed at one point a security guard trying to stop our hero from jumping over a gate not knowing that he's the great Robert Shaw. Yes, I saw that too, and kudos to Robert Shaw for not stopping. They probably had to get that done in one take. Yes, otherwise the whole thing would have been ruined. Uh, As the airship comes into the base for an apparent emergency, we hear the urgent appearance of the terrorist theme on strings again on the soundtrack, but this time punctuated with unusual percussion instruments. Again, This is Williams experimenting with different techniques and different instruments and using a given orchestra very, very effectively. This is quite an action set piece, actually. Michael and Dahlia racing against time, killing witnesses and bystanders in order to get the blimp in the air. William does a great job keeping up the pace. ship does get away and as it approaches the stadium over the city we hear a staccato of strings similar to Luke's trench run I believe in Star Wars but here John uses the low register of the piano again to give the sequence the menace it needs. This is music we've heard before Sadiq. In the film version music from previous scenes were put into most of this big scene involving the blimp followed by Kabakov in a helicopter. Some of the music Williams wrote for the scene is quite good and is included in that film score monthly CD. Here's a taste of it. (laughs) 
uh, and the music returns after Michael lights the fuse, the backup fuse. Kabakov is trying to hook his helicopter onto the top of the airship in order to fly it away out to sea, away from danger. As he succeeds, we hear his theme played with a flourish from the trumpet to highlight that success. Then the movie ends with a repeat of this last cue over the short end credits. But on the next film that John Williams would compose the music for, the end credits will be a lot longer. And of course, that gives Williams a unique opportunity to showcase his themes, his musical mastery, and the audience's emotions as they leave the, leave the cinema. Yes, these end credits in Black Sunday were sadly just rehashed music. I would have liked the developed version of Kabakov's theme, which is what Williams originally wrote.
And of course, I can really hear the beginnings of the Force theme here, especially in the strings. Listeners will have noted how lush those strings are in that last piece that you just played, Jeff. Yes, this would become a signature feature of John's compositions, but it also reflects his ability to create himself or to get others to create orchestrations that really push the musicians and their performances. He expects a lot of his players, and we, the audience, are the beneficiaries of those performances and those recordings. This particular CD of the Black Sunday soundtrack presents this pivotal score in its best audio presentation. I would seriously urge everyone listening not to worry too much about the film. If you can watch it, watch it, but to really listen to this CD. It's easily available. You can get it on Spotify, on Apple Music, on YouTube, of course. A lot of soundtracks are now released on YouTube where you can watch them in their entirety, uh, listen to them, sorry, in their entirety. And of course, uh, it's available directly from the Film School monthly site as a CD purchase. So Black Sunday kind of breathes through with barely a whimper at the end of the disaster movies craze of the 1970s. It wasn't helped by the fact that another movie about danger looming over a football game called Two Minute Warning came out six months earlier. But this did give John Williams some great opportunities to write good action music, more fleshed out than what he had done in The Poseidon Adventure, Earthquake, and The Towering Inferno. When you compare the three other film scores done between Jaws and Star Wars, I do count this one as my favorite, Sadiq. I'm glad to hear that, Jeff. In those intervening two years since Jaws, it's this score which really stands out. Unfortunately, those other disaster films that you mentioned, the films are well-remembered, but not quite their scores. And that is the point I particularly wanted to make. So we've talked so much about Star Wars that I think we have fully whetted everyone's appetite for the next episode. Thank you so much, Sadiq, for opening our ears to this score and how it laid the foundation for what was to come in a few months, or actually even just a few weeks. Thanks for asking me to join you, and of course your growing audience, Jeff. I've had a blast, and now that I've played just a small role in this catalogue that you're setting up with your podcast, I can't wait to go back and listen to some of your earlier episodes. I've really enjoyed this experience, and all that I hope is that a few more listeners go and listen to Black Sunday, the soundtrack. Along with Jaws, I do believe this to be the breakthrough score that would lead the unexpected world into a certain galaxy far, far away. Now, I know I don't have to ask too much for everyone to join me on the next episode, which will feature a very, very special guest to talk about the Star Wars score. And sorry to disappoint you, it is not John Williams. In the meantime, everyone, as always, I invite you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and to post comments on the Podbean app. If you like, send me an email to jeffswim at aol.com, and I guarantee I will respond to you. Thanks, everyone, and until next time, the baton is down.